0: Hello and welcome to Hot Air Diviners,
1: an enchanting podcast where casual conversation blends into cosmic wisdom.
0: Join me, Natasha, your dedicated card slinger,
1: and me, Lauren, the Cosmic Queen of Chaos, on a long-winded journey,
0: where we'll be exploring the intersection of tarot, astrology,
1: and beyond.
0: Hello Lauren.
1: Hi Natasha.
0: <laughs> how are you doing today?
2: Good. Good. I'm doing pretty good.
0: I'm feeling uh really yawny for some reason, so I'm gonna try really hard to not yawn directly into the microphone today. But yeah. yeah
2: I'm feeling the opposite. I'm <laughs> fired up.
0: <laughs> nice. Maybe I'm just leaning into how old people seem to think I am. old old enough to be in the senior olympics apparently uh Uh, please do tell (laughs) the uh senior pickleball olympics happened in chattanooga this last weekend Uh and we play a lot of pickleball my husband and you know some friends and i and pickleball is fun because you can play with a really wide variety of ages and everyone can still like you know play and have a good time so we Mm -hmm. tend to play with a lot of older folks particularly at some of the local rec centers but it was just like all week long we'd be like going around places and people would ask it's like are you playing the senior olympics this weekend it's like no i'm (laughs) (laughs) 32 I was just like, "Man, what am I giving that people are like grandma?" I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> I that's weird. I don't, I don't
3: know like this uh, year, You have such a young looking face, so like, I oh, don't thank
0: you. I was like, I feel like I look my age, which is 32. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh to be fair, they added like another age bracket to the Senior Pickleball Olympics this year, and so the the youngest age bracket is like 40 to 49, which is remarkably I don't know. It feels weird to still continue calling it the Senior Olympics. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> but thanks <laughs> for asking, I guess.
1: <laughs> Did your so. husband look really old? to see
2: aging you?
0: No, he has a very young, <laughs> smiley face. He is bald, but he's been bald since he was, like, in college. So, I don't... <laughs>
2: Maybe that's it, then. Maybe.
0: Uh, yeah, I but- guess... Yeah, we'll have to I guess we've never posted pictures of ourselves on like our podcast Instagram or whatever, so maybe that's the uh-huh. thing I should do. Ask the internet how old I look in case I don't feel I don't bad know about if that's
1: myself. That's a yet. good idea to ask. Right? <laughs> uh, uh, going back to that uh ego check in uh this Leo season, that's one way to do it.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's probably never a good idea to ask the internet about your looks. <laughs> <It's> just- <laughs> It's like a troll magnet
2: yeah um speaking of husbands aging my husband i told him he was aging me. he turned 40 today and i'm like now i'm old by association because you're in your 40s uh, just joking with fun you, but you
0: know it's fine 40s and you 30 now so we're all set <laughs>
2: well, i have something to look forward to
3: then just-
0: yeah for sure forever should always have Mm -hmm. something to look forward to yeah that's what living is (laughs) yeah at least there's tomorrow
2: i would rather turn 40 than not turn 40 because the alternative is
3: not ideal
0: yeah is is bleak (laughs) um but anyways now that we've thoroughly depressed everyone with the concept of mortality yeah uh, (laughs) today we're talking about houses in astrology or well lauren is talking about houses in astrology i'm gonna try to learn something uh and i'm gonna talk about reading tarot without a spread or a specific question
2: yeah i'm really interested to hear about that yeah
0: <laughs> we'll see my my topics going to take like five minutes and then we're gonna the next hour and a half talking about the houses i'm excited
2: <laughs> i mean i hope it doesn't take me that long but we'll see it's a it's a it's a big topic i i feel like i maybe it's almost like maybe i bit a little bit more off than i could chew in one episode but we're gonna we're gonna try and hash it out anyways
3: yeah
0: i'm looking forward to it is there anything else or should we just jump in
1: so let's do it
0: woo so since lauren usually has to go first most of our episodes in order to explain the astrology uh before we can get to tarot spreads and stuff it looks like i'm going to go first today switch things up a little bit so first reading tarot with a spread versus without a spread the general idea behind a spread is you have like a very structured series of questions that kind of give you guidance for how you read tarot and when you take those away it kind of just turns into a very different ball game it's very there's a lot more room for creativity, I think, and just kind of like, I don't know, I, was, I wanted to say just kind of like making stuff up. But that's essentially kind of what we're doing all the time anyways. Um, yeah. I, what I kind of situations do you usually find yourself preferring to read without a spread? Because I know you mentioned like you do some like form general readings as well. Every day. Nice.
2: I mean, I, I not every day, but I'm just in like an ev- every day like card pull. Um, I won't use spread if I'm just kind of like looking for what might come up today or um just the general vibe energy of the day, and I might just so so I'll just sometimes in the morning just um shuffle the deck. Usually, whatever cards kind of don't want to go back in or. Fall out and like, okay, this is what it This is what I need to know today. Nice. I'm I'm chaos. So that's. I just let's see what the universe throws at me. Nice. And then try and interpret it.
0: Yeah, I think that's like a really common way for, especially like if you're reading on a, a daily or near daily basis, is kind of just like coming to the deck with, like, what do I need to know today or, you know, something to consider. Uh, that kind of thing, which is nice. I also find there are situations sometimes because I I use a spread a lot of times. It it can be very helpful to have like specific direction, I suppose, that you're kind of like guiding the reading in. But yeah, sometimes I'm honestly, it's like I'm just too overwhelmed. Like life is overwhelming. So it's like there's not a specific thing I'm trying to figure out right now. A lot of times it's just like coming to the deck and Just looking for a peaceful moment, I suppose. And I I think of it just as kind of having a conversation with the cards. Um, Uh Yeah, it's interesting. It kind of creates a lot of back and forth. I think there's also like a moment that comes up a lot of times when you're learning tarot and you're super excited about using the tarot and figuring out what all of the cards mean. And, And so you're trying to do readings a lot, like for practice and things. Mm-hmm. But eventually like you just run out of things to ask about your own life because you, you can only live so much life in a day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. And so that could be like a whole episode on its own for like ways to practice tarot when you don't have a specific question or like a thing in your life that needs guidance necessarily right that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think like the biggest way that I look at the cards when I'm like coming is just kind of like a blank slate is I think of each of the tarot cards as having not just an answer, because usually it's like we ask the deck a question, and then we pull the cards, and the cards are supposed to answer the question. But I also think of each of the cards as having questions inherently within them themselves, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. And so I will just randomly draw a card, and I will let the first card be the question. Ooh. And then... I will pull more cards to answer the question. And in this way, you can kind of like go back and forth with like pull a card as a question, pull a card as an answer. And a lot of times you can also get both like an answer and a question out of that next card, pull another card Mm -hmm. and go on, so on and so forth. And that's why I think it's nice, just as like, that's why I consider it like a conversation because it feels uh, very back and forth, even though it's all, you know, your brain or whatever. So just like a few examples of just individual card pools that you can like pull questions out of, cause I think you can do this with every single card in the deck, but obviously I'm not going to go through all 78 cards. So I just pulled a handful and came <laughs> up with the, the first question that came to mind. I grabbed the six of wands. And if I was using this to create a question, this is a card that is often about celebration, about being kind of like the center of attention. It usually pictures like, it looks like a hero coming home or something and receiving uh-huh. like a big welcome or a parade. And so one of the questions you can ask about that is like, what in my life is worth celebrating right now? Or what is something about myself that I can celebrate? Pulled the queen of swords and some options there. This is like an archetype about the intellect and about truth and reason and rational thought. So just some questions that I would get out of that are like, what is a truth I need to confront? Where do I need to temper my expectations with? Ration or reason. What is an area of my life where I need to be a little more logical and slightly less emotional or analytical? Five of Swords, which is the one where it's usually a guy holding some swords with a few extra swords on the ground and it looks like people walking away in defeat in the background. And something that comes up there, I'm like, what am I pursuing right now that I might regret later? In what areas am I maybe being too argumentative or stubborn? And then one more, the Ace of Cups. What opportunity for emotional growth am I not seeing? And that's just a bunch of like really quick off the top of the head kind of examples.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. You're basically just taking kind of the essence of the card and turning it into
3: a question.
0: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And... I think it's it's a good way to, like, practice, too, because in order to, like, pull questions like this out of the card, I think, like, you have to have some kind of basic understanding of what the general themes are. But it's also nice because I feel like there's lots of opportunity for variety and different perspectives because every card archetype, I feel like, really, it shows itself in a different way depending on the situation. And when you're just kind of like freestyle drawing like this without questions, what comes to mind first is kind of like your subconscious essentially just pushing a situation forward for you and kind of helping to mm-hmm. show you like what, what your brain is thinking about, even if you think you're not thinking about anything, if that makes sense.
2: <laughs> yeah. that
0: makes sense. Yeah. Because a lot of times it's like you'll pull a card and then something in your life will immediately be the thing that is at the top of your mind that will make you think of that thing and that's you know that's why i love tarot to begin with because it's so good at pulling those kinds of things forward
2: yeah it it, it sometimes it just follows my mind at the accuracy of the cards that come out of the deck um doing the readings like that like yesterday i i just did my random you know kind of Chaotic Shuffle, and the Two of Wands popped out, which is a very Mars card. It's associated with uh, the first second of Aries,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: it's really all about planning and preparation. And I had actually drawn cards right after I had, was writing in my journal, and that was a lot of what I was writing about was preparing and planning things for the future. I don't know. What question do you <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what question it, asked, it would ask if we were going to use it as a question.
0: Yeah. What should be the focus of your planning and preparation right now, maybe? Or even, like, kind of getting to this, like, it can come from, like, a lot of different perspectives. How is planning and preparing for the future keeping you from being present right now is another question. Mm-hmm. I suppose you could get on oh, yeah. that card as well.
2: Mm-hmm. What's really ironic is that, now thinking about it in hindsight, I pulled this before uh, we were supposed to meet and record the episode yesterday, which I was not (laughs) fully (laughs) planned or prepared for because I thought we were doing it. I I didn't think we had like set the plans like for sure that it was that it was going to be yesterday.
0: uh, (laughs) I was like, that's funny, very very literal sense. It's like, what are the plans, Lauren?
2: My cards know me. They know you have to be like really specific. It's really funny. Sometimes I always leave them out until the next time I pull cards because sometimes I'll come back to them and I'll be like, oh, I see, you now. I see, you now."
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's another fun tip that I see a lot for, for when you're learning tarot, too, is to pull your cards at the end of the day instead of the beginning. That way you're not like moving through the whole day wondering or trying to figure out how that card is going to show up necessarily but just reflecting on it at the end of the day you can look back mm-hmm. and be like where where did i see this card in my day this this archetype yeah. or whatever yeah that's a fun one or if you are capable of just like drawing them in the morning and not letting them like worry you have to death <laughs> looking backwards no. it's the same thing it all works uh, it's just figuring out what makes you less anxious
2: yeah i have the ginger span of a goldfish so sometimes i'll just pull a card and I'm like hmm I guess we'll see what that means later, and then the next day when I come down to and sit down, I'm like, Ah, oh, you know, just like now, I'm like, I see it now, yeah, <laughs>
3: that makes sense, and I'll sense. make a
2: note of it. So, and that's kind of how I've gotten some like some personal significations from some cards. Like, I'm like, Oh, I remember the last time I got this card,
0: yeah, that's definitely a good way to have things stick in the brain for sure. hmm. Uh, yeah, sorry, lost my lost my train of thought for a second there. But yeah, a lot of times this is how I will help myself create spreads for other people. Honestly, anytime I make a spread with like an anchor card or something where it's like you pull a card from the deck and set it at the top, that's essentially kind of what this process is like. So like our strength and the sun card spreads that we did for Our Leo episode are basically like that, where it's like we're looking at strength in general as this archetype and then asking ourselves questions about it and then pulling cards in response. So, very similar process. And actually, like I was just randomly drawing cards uh, while putting together my notes for this episode to come up with examples, and I did pull strength. (laughs) So, I just went ahead and, and went with that. And it's like, what is the strength I possess? And then pulled the world. So just, like, an example could be my ability to see and make sense of the big picture. So there's just, like, a a question and answer pairing. Yeah. And so you can just kind of do that forever.
2: That's really interesting because I, along with the the two of Wands yesterday, I also pulled the world. (laughs) I was telling you
1: to have strength and patience with me <laughs> because I didn't
3: plan <laughs> That's so
0: funny. Nah, no, we're just uh, we're just really synced up.
2: <laughs> I mean, it's starting to become a little bit of a coincidence because remember the Leo episode, we both pulled what? The King of Wands? Yeah. It's really funny.
0: <laughs> it is fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess like, yeah, my topic is, is a pretty short one. The last note I will add, I suppose, is really that I feel like you can use this kind of method with most divination styles uh, that aren't, you know, like yes or no questions. Like this would be hard to do with a pendulum, obviously, because it's a much more simple, straightforward kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. I do this with oracle cards the same way. A lot of times what I like to do is like pair an oracle deck with a tarot deck where I feel like the imagery works really well together. And then a lot of times I'll use the oracle because they tend to be broader, more general keywords and stuff on the cards, I guess, usually. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'll let that kind of like set the broad question and then use the tarot with more specific answers.
3: That's a
2: good idea. I don't really mess with oracles a lot.
0: I'm really particular about what kind of oracle decks I like. I realized... um, I'm definitely prefer things of simple imagery and simple keywords. Like I know there are some that are really popular. I think they're mostly like angel decks and stuff, which is angels in general just aren't my thing, but there are also just some Oracle card styles where it's like, there'll be a whole sentence or something on the card instead of just a keyword. And those don't really appeal to me much because it always feels too pigeonholed. Like, I want room to be able to like draw lots of different inferences and interpretations out of the same card, depending on, you know, the question asked or the scenario or whatever. So two of my like favorite Oracle decks are the Memento or Memento Mori Oracle deck by, um, on Instagram, she goes by black and the moon. It's the same creator who did the antique anatomy tarot decks. And stuff um but i really like the memento mori deck it is one of my personal favorites and i pair it with the marigold tarot which is like an all black and gold deck and all of the people are skeletons it's it's probably like my my personal favorite if something terrible happened and i had to get rid of all of my tarot decks uh those are probably the two that i would replace the fastest um
2: the black and gold skeleton how very Saturnian of you and I, I, like I, I tried <laughs> to put
0: it away and save it for like fall and winter or whatever you know when it makes sense but uh-huh. I I can't also like because it is such a, a comfortable deck that I feel like reads so well for me like July was personally just a really stressful month and so I don't think I picked up any other decks in July <laughs> it was just those mm-hmm. two because i was like i i need something that i can like work with and they just work so well together mm-hmm. yeah so it was nice but
1: i need a friend i can depend on <laughs> yeah
0: basically um but it's so funny it's <laughs> <is> really funny <laughs> it's like two ends of the spectrum i either want ooh the dark black and gold all skeletons deck or my other like favorite deck that i tend to go back to as like a comfort deck is the light series tarot which is super colorful mm-hmm. super like mm-hmm. bohemian type energy yeah so it's like nothing nothing in between i really like <laughs> the opposite ends of the spectrum dark and spooky or like hippy dippy colorful yeah
2: so. well
3: i mean it makes sense
2: you've got the aquariusness uh with your sun and and your Cap stellium <laughs> and then you have like this whole like aries gemini um Interplay between you know the Aries Gemini houses, in your which is more associated with, like the spring or younger, more vibrant. Um, <laughs> so it makes. I mean, it makes sense.
0: Yeah, makes I have sense. my my senior pickleball Olympics vibe, and then <laughs> <my> <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> and then my bike down the mountain as fast as possible vibe.
3: <laughs>
0: I yeah. Suppose. Um,
2: That's
3: funny.
0: uh so that's kind of just that's that's the topic uh and i really think like i'm not uh really well versed in what all of the runes mean but i feel like you could do something similar with runes as well because like each symbol kind of encompasses like a very large broad area of life and a topic so there's always multiple questions you can ask about any of those those Parts of your life as well but yeah i think it's just a fun way to kind of insert a little agency into the divination process and just explore a lot of different aspects of of a single card
2: yeah i like it it's fun i mean it's definitely my vibe Yeah, i
0: kind of like want to go through and make like a list or i guess it would even it might even just end up being like a zine or something like every single card in tarot and just making like a little white book but instead of answers and keywords for what the cards mean it's just a list of questions that you could ask yourself anytime you drew one of those cards it's like a little personal project i've been thinking about for I'd a like while that. haven't haven't quite done
2: you know you were just talking about the light seers deck and i don't have that deck i want that deck but i don't have it i'm gonna get it but anyways um but i use their website a lot of times when i'm like just kind of trying to get an idea. And out at the bottom, it, when you go to the uh, descriptions of the different cards, they'll have questions that, that go along with them. Have you seen that?
3: Yeah.
0: She has a beautiful website. Um, Let's see. Chris, what's her last
1: so, name? So, yeah,
2: I, I have used the questions before because I'm like, ah. And, and so I found myself when I'm like, well, what does this mean? Sometimes I'll just go to that website and I'll just kind of scroll down to the bottom and, and look. I see what what other questions maybe i could
0: ask myself yeah i love when guide decks include like journaling prompts Is how they usually refer to them for for each of the cards i think that's really yeah. useful because like i love the tarot and it can be helpful for like providing answers to to an extent or like just helping you think of things that you maybe wouldn't have considered on your own like by injecting that little bit of randomness in there but i also like just love thinking about the tarot as a box full of questions and trusting yourself to come up with the answer sometimes. Um, you know, so you don't you don't have to pull cards to answer any of these questions at all if you don't want to. You can use them just to generate questions that you you journal to, which I think can be a, a valuable exercise as well. Boom. This is okay. how I like to read tarot yeah. without Spreads mic question. drop. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> I've got a good mic stand now. <laughs> Doesn't mean I won't punch the mic on accident.
2: I could drop a rock. I mean... Oh, I'm counting <laughs> on it. <laughs> I'll drop something.
3: Uh,
2: Let me take five stretch mics because this is going to be a long one.
0: All right. we are We are back from our little break. Everyone is stretched pissed and looked outside uh (laughs) to ground ourselves on planet earth so that we can stare up into the sky (laughs) with lauren and she's going to demystify the houses in astrology for us are you feeling ready did i psych you up
2: (laughs) uh yeah i'm gonna try to um make make things a little clear uh we'll see whether or not i do that i I have
0: faith only in you all right (laughs) (laughs)
1: your faith may be misplaced wouldn't be the first thing i misplaced it's
0: fine
2: (laughs) all right so here we go so the house is in astrology so if you're listening to this podcast i'm going to assume you've seen a depiction of a birth chart probably your own if not, it's the circular, circular wheel that is divided into sections. The wheel itself is 360 degrees circle divided into 12 equal sections of 30 degrees or houses. So before I get into meat of this, I think it will be helpful to kind of reiterate that I'm a Hellenistic astrologer. So I use the whole sign house system. And the whole sign house system is the oldest and original form of house division in astrology. Uh, in the whole sign house system, the first house is the whole sign of the zodiac sign that your ascendant falls within. So, for example, if your ascendant is at 2 degrees of Libra, then Libra will be the first whole sign house in your natal chart. Scorpio will be the second, Sagittarius the third, and then so on and so forth. If you go to any astrology website and just... Um, Use a basic birth chart calculator, your chart will automatically be generated using the Placidus house system, not the whole sign house system, because it's the most popular house system used since it was the system used by modern astrologers when astrology began to regain popularity in the 20th and 21st centuries. And the Placidus house system starts the first house at the exact degree of your ascendant. So Let's say you're a Leo rising with the degree of your ascendant at 15 degrees. then Leo, then your, your first house starts at 15 degrees of Leo and will go to 15 degrees of Virgo. So you will have two different signs with the Placidus system making up the or two different zodiac signs making up the first house. Interesting. So then the signs and the houses don't align like they do. In the, in the whole sign system, and it's just my opinion, but I when I decided to study astrology and I was looking at this, I, I felt like the whole sign house system was just a little bit simpler, whereas the placidus system, it just, for me, it muddies the water a little bit, just as clean or as clear, but I'm not saying placidus is wrong or inferior, it's just, in my opinion, the whole sign house system just works much better for me, but to each their own, right?
0: So. <laughs> yeah it's, it's interesting I'm like I'm a little bit surprised that Placidus is the more popular or common one I guess just because it does seem like the whole sign system at least would be an easier way to start learning and then to like move into the other mm-hmm. house systems because yeah like having that mixed degrees and having a house that covers two signs and, and whatnot seems confusing
2: <laughs> yeah so and, and there are some people that will passionately argue that, you know, one house system is superior to the other, but I just look at it like astrology is a a form of divination using the planets and their locations and aspects as kind of the signs and symbols that speak. And the house is just different ways of translating the language of the cosmos, if that makes sense. It's preferring one type of tarot deck over another.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair comparison. It's, you know,
2: or like there's the um the, the wider weight smith and then there's the thaw which are two systems and they they have a lot of similarities and correlations but they are both different
3: ways of approaching yeah tarot.
0: and then if you want to talk about yeah. like the tarot de marseille that's more like vedic astrology <laughs> which is still tarot yeah. slash astrology but also like very obviously a, a different system
2: <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean it's just different ways to approach it and so to like i said to each their own if you're wanting to calculate your chart using whole sign houses, um, to follow along with this episode, you can go to astro.com and click on the charts and calculations graphic on the home page. Then you'll click on extended chart selection. You'll need your birth time, date, and location. You'll fill out the form with your information and then click continue. On the next page, go to the second section labeled zodiac and houses and select the drop down menu house systems and change the house uh, system from placidus to whole sign. Then you just click show chart and that will show your chart in whole sign houses. And that that's all free through astro.com. You can even uh, you don't have to sign up for an account on the website, but you can that way you can save, you know, save your information there and you can go back and you don't have to take all those steps to access it again. All right. So there's the little spill on on the houses and the division of the houses and
3: <laughs> that's interesting.
2: all all that
3: yeah
0: I'm looking at my chart just for like funsies alongside as you you talk about everything and I'm thinking about Placidus or like it's like how would my chart look different if I calculated it using Placidus instead of whole signs and it looks like my ascendant or is in Aries at 28 degrees so it seems like that would make it pretty significant it would shift almost entirely because it's close to that 30 degree mark right yeah so interesting
2: so your ascendant yeah it was started tw- uh, or your first house was at 20 degrees of aries so then the remainder of your first house would be Taurus. Hmm.
0: interesting might be more after you explain what the first house is of course but um anyways <laughs> sorry musing out loud everyone else just has to <laughs> muse with me i guess
2: Mm -hmm. So I guess the next place to go before I start talking about the significations and the meanings of the houses would be to explain also the difference between where the houses get their significations in traditional astrology versus the 12-letter alphabet house system that is used to derive the significations of the houses in modern astrology. So one of the biggest misconceptions in modern astrology is the idea that the signs and the houses have conflated meanings, and while it might be true that some of the significations for the signs, that they do match up with certain houses, the idea that they're the same or that they're derived from one another, though, can cause a lot of confusion, especially to those who are new to astrology, and the system of completing the signs with the meanings of the houses is referred to as the 12-letter alphabet.
1: The idea behind
2: this system is that since Aries is the first sign in the tropical zodiac, it gets associated with the first house, and because Taurus is the second sign of the tropical zodiac, Taurus gets associated with the second house, and so on and so forth in each of the 12 houses measured out from the Ascendant. And this technique became, so I did a little, I did had to do a little research because I wanted to make sure I had facts straight, but this technique became popular in the 1970s when astrology started to get a comeback and was popular, and the 12 letter alphabet system was popularized by a woman named, and I'm going to try to get this right, Zipharia Pottinger Dobbins?
0: I think it's just zippera. I feel like I've I've Zipporah? heard this name before on the astrology podcast. Um, I think it comes from Hebrew, actually.
2: Ah, okay.
0: I want to I want to say there was someone in the Prince of Egypt <laughs> movie that was named Zipporah. I'm pretty sure it comes from
3: Hebrew.
2: I I never really heard that that name other than reference yeah. here. <laughs> anyways, so. it's a mouthful. Yeah, it's a lot of letters. But anyways, so. And where and where she got this from was um a a book called Christian Astrology which was written by William Lilly William Lily in the 1600s and it was the first astrology book written in English. That's where that's where it came from. It was basically just mentioned in the book about if I'm understanding it correctly. It was mentioned in the book about the signs having kind of like a a secondary association with the houses in some ways but there just wasn't a lot of evidence of its practice or use so it was kind of just more like mentioned then moved on and then somebody found it i guess this lady and decided to run Interesting. with it and popularized it.
0: <laughs> casual mention and then someone else like fixates on it and turns <laughs> it into a
3: thing
2: <laughs> yeah yeah so I don't. I I I get it. I get why you can associate some of the houses with some of the signs in that way. So I'm not saying it doesn't have any basis because there are there are correspondences that can be made in that system, but that's just that's where it came from. That's all I know. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) So in traditional astrology or Hellenistic astrology, the houses. Don't derive their meanings or significations from the zodiac signs but instead they are derived from it's a complex system called the planetary joy system historically the house systems that use planetary joys were developed back in the first century bc bce over 2000 years ago there are a lot of complexities to how this system works and i am not going to attempt to get into all of that but if you want to do a deep dive on the houses in astrology and the planetary joys and and you know, just you want to know everything uh, behind what I'm going to proceed to try to explain to you, I would go to theastrologypodcast.com, episode 17 by Chris He He's the guy that literally wrote the textbook on Hellenistic astrology. He's extremely thorough and so that's that's where I go. It's about a, uh, I don't know, he's thorough throwing...
0: <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. It's like he's thorough in everything he talks about. I don't think he's released an episode yeah. that's less than like two and a half hours long.
2: No. Uh <laughs> he's got I think he's got some pretty heavy Scorpio placements. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, no no stone unturned with uh with those heavy Scorpio placements. But anyways, so now that I've explained all of that questions natasha do anything that's coming out for you that maybe some other people might be thinking but i can
0: i guess not i feel like the whole 12 letter alphabet house system thing is probably i've never heard it referred to that way but it definitely seems like that's kind of the the vibe or the general assumption a lot of times when people talk about houses mm-hmm. so that, that makes sense it's also weird because like i am in aries rising so like Aries is my first house, and all of my houses proceed mm-hmm. in order. Therefore, yeah,
2: I'm sure it works really for um, Aries rising, but I think it can get a little hairy when you get to other rising signs because they don't flow in that order.
3: Yeah, water. literally everyone else. Then you're trying to,
2: <laughs> yeah, then you're trying to like apply house like Aries type house topics to I don't know a Virgo rising. Uh, I'm not saying it can't be done i just it's just not my yeah it's not my go-to
0: yeah it's, it's good to know it's kind of just like the house systems in in general like i think when you're first starting out you don't realize even that there are different ways of calculating and looking mm-hmm. at these things and like even just being aware they're like oh well, that's why, like, that one episode I listened to didn't make any sense. It's because the chart that I'm looking at is all in Placidus or whatever. And, like, we're talking, like, you're going to talk more about like, whole sign stuff. And we've mentioned that Placidus is the default, usually, for mm-hmm. calculating that stuff, but... I remember when I was first trying, like, find websites to calculate my chart on, and looking at those little drop-down menus. Like, those are not the only two house systems. There's a whole bunch more outside of that, no. and so mm-hmm. it can be, yeah. yeah. There's just so much information out there, basically, in different ways of, yeah. of approaching things, and and we're kind of just talking about
2: mm-hmm. two of the
0: more common ones, basically.
2: Yeah, those are those are. Placidus would be the most common, followed by um, a whole sign. Uh, but yeah, there there are a lot of different um, ways to calculate and lay out the houses, and some of them have uh, are primarily used for different like advanced astrological techniques. Like Regiomontanus is one that you use for horary. Hor- <laughs> <laughs> wow, Try to say re- Regiomontanus and then follow it by horary. Yeah, r- which is
0: r- a <laughs> weird hard word to say in general. Why are, why are there so many like H's and O's and R's <laughs> next to
3: each other? I was like horary. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Whew. but yeah, another thing with 12-letter alphabet health system is it also relies on the outer planets. When you're talking about those planets, we didn't know they were there until about what 200 years ago. So before of that time, the traditional planets were used. So Jupiter ruling Pisces, Mars ruling Scorpio, and Saturn ruling Aquarius
0: nice yeah it is kind of like wild to remember that that like it hasn't been that long ago since those outer planets were just discovered
2: <laughs> mhm and astrology has a really rich, uh, really rich and deep history so you're talking about going back 2,000 years of documented astrological histories. So yeah, you have this 2,000-year tradition of using the traditional planets, which is what's called traditional astrology. And then we discover these new planets, and we're like, well, we've got to put them somewhere. So you just like plug them in. I'm not saying they don't work. It's just why fix something that wasn't broken?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's fair.
2: Moving on, I'm going to try to get through the rest of this kind of quickly. If not, we might have to split this up and put it into a different episode. We'll see yeah. how it goes.
0: Potentially very long for us episode.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you can always just pause and come back. You don't have to listen to it all in. You don't have to take it all in at yeah. one time. Uh, <laughs> so, here we go. We're going to start with the first house. And the first house is called the Helm in ancient astrology and the helm is the front of a ship and it steers the direction of the ship. And like I said in previous episodes, your Ascendant is more like your bio or the cover of the book about you. And the saying, don't judge a book by its cover is kind of applicable here as it's like the the top layer of a person's personality, but the more you get to know someone, the more layers you uncover. Um, So yeah, the first house is just like that, that kind of that top layer of the personality but to go a little bit deeper the first house is the only house of course that sig- signifies what is wrong with my
3: mouth
2: <laughs> <It> signifies <laughs> you and just you topics of other people a career and you know just all the other random things are not in the first house. So the first house is your self-identity, your body, your character, and even your appearance. This is because your ascendant marks the moment of your birth, and some believe that it's the moment when your soul leaves the liminal state and enters the body or the material world. And Mercury, for that reason, is associated with the first house because Mercury is the planet that travels in between realms. The first house house sits right between the twelfth and the second. And the 12th house is like the, it's a very liminal house, it's kind of a shadowy place, and it is, well we'll get to that later, but it is associated with life prior to birth, so in the womb, labor, those types of things. And then the second house associated with more of your material possessions, and so it's the house between the liminal and the material. Mercury being, you know, the messenger god traveling between those two worlds, it, it I mean, it makes sense why Mercury would be associated with the first house. So, planets in the first house will have influence over the top, over these topics, and transits to the first house can also bring about topics related to self-identity, the body, character, or appearance. I'll give you an example uh, right now. Mars is in Virgo, which is my first house, and I have accidentally burnt myself three <laughs> times. Um, oh. And so, I had, I had, I had the tip of a match, a flaming tip of the match. Break off and land in my lap, and it hit both thighs. So I have blisters. Like
0: <sighs> that's so unfortunate.
2: <laughs> they're not blisters now, but they're they're scabs. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Um, anyway. <laughs> and then I burnt my finger on a stove and busted my lip. So that's how Mars is treating me in in the first house because you know Mars is the fiery planet of war,
3: destruction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's unfortunate.
2: <laughs> so if I if Mars makes it out of my first house and all I've suffered is a few minor burns and a busted lip, though, like I, I can handle that. Like <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. So oh, I guess I should preface before I started, just jump right into the first house of how I'm laying this out. So I'm not going to go first, second, third, fourth, fifth uh, through the houses in that manner. We're going to now skip to the seventh house because... It's easier to explain that the houses when you can explain the houses opposite to them because they kind of play off of each other. And I think you'll you'll everybody listen will see or understand what I mean now that I'm going to talk about the seventh house. So the seventh house is directly across from the first and is in opposition to it. It's called the setting place and it's associated with other people. So the first house is self. Across from self is other people. Also, marriage partners and partners can be romantic, business, or platonic, as well as death because it is opposite the place of birth and where the sun rises. This is the place where the sun sets below the horizon and it has a sense of finality to it. And kind of like, um, and you're kind of probably, people are probably wondering, okay, so death and marriage, um, seem odd to go together, but the sense of finality there is is really where they kind of tie in together because the the settling down of someone the you know making that big life commitment does that makes sense Natasha. following
0: i mean used to it was much more common for like marriage to be until death <laughs> anyways
2: uh, yeah
1: I, oh yeah absolutely yeah. Mm-hmm. there's also some um some <laughs>
2: some sexual references that go along with the consummation of marriage is the seventh house topic as well. Because if you think about the sun, which is very masculine, and it's going down in. <laughs> you know where we going with this? Oh, it's going down gosh. in.
3: I can, I can guess. So, oh, me.
1: Uh, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you know those ancient old dudes they were all about the
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> they like they like to plug that in literally anywhere
0: they can <laughs> yeah i definitely like my mentioning is like it used to be marriage into this that was that was not like a lament or anything on my part you know because it was mm-hmm. definitely like that because women yeah. had no choices and no power so <laughs> i don't think mm-hmm. higher divorce mm-hmm. rates are
3: necessarily a bad thing
2: no so an example of well, so planets in the 7th house can speak to the topics of partners or others. So, for example, if you have Saturn in the 7th house, you may have a partner that is older than you. And probably not like by a few years, but more of a significant age gap, maybe like 10 years or so difference. Or maybe you marry or settle down later in life. Uh, Saturn can also speak to the character of your partner. So if you have a very Saturnian partner or maybe somebody with some heavy Uh, Saturn placements, you're going to get responsible, stable, or having a little bit of a melancholic temperament. As for the topics of death with the 7th house, Saturn in the 7th could signify um, old age and elders, so it could indicate a long life.
3: Interesting.
0: Mine doesn't have much in it, so. (laughs) Like a weird asteroid, I think. But.
2: Yeah, in that case, you're gonna be looking at the ruler, of the house, and where where the ruler is located, and you can maybe make some inferences from from that house or some correlations between the two. So, I've got some examples of that as as we as we move forward. So, moving on <laughs> because we're <laughs> still got a lot of ground to cover. So, the second house is called the Gate of Hades, and it's because it follows the first house and it marks the descent into the material world. For this reason, it's associated with material possessions, money, and finances, specifically in relation to your your own personal finances, your own resources. Yeah, so, the second house and topics include your livelihood and how you make a living, your money, your investments, acquisitions, income, expenditures. It also um, relates to your food, your possessions, and your material resources, as well as, like, future future growth and gains, things that will eventually blossom, manifest or appear. And it can also you, know, you can also throw um, assets, aids, personal helpers in there. That last pen. <laughs> I put that more in, like, it's um, like in the topic of resources, if you don't mind, can I use your same example? Yeah. I won't, I won't give too much detail, but you were having some problems with an accountant a while back and we're talking about hiring a lawyer. And I looked at your chart and I, was thinking, I said, well, you're in this situation, would probably fall or signify in the, in the second house as uh, someone who would bring personal aid or help <laughs> to the area of finance.
3: That was a rough situation.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, those are those are all the all the things. Uh, second house transits can or second house planets can bring emphasis on financial matters, financial gains, um, financial issues. The second house is it's connected to the tenth house by Trine, and trines are benefic and helpful aspects. So the two, the way they connect, they kind of play off of each other because, of course, your career is connected to your personal finances and your resources aren't just uh, material resources. The resources can be, you know, your knowledge as well. Things, skills that you acquired, knowledge, um, those can also be resources so, just transits to that house, you can see anything from acquiring those skills, resources, possessions, having, the, you know, topics coming up having to do with possessions, um, spending, personal finance. Maybe you need to cut back, maybe you need to plan. I've had transits to the second house um, when I'm thinking of most recently where my refrigerator went out and that cost me a bunch of money
3: because it was <laughs> not. <laughs>
2: It was not something that could be fixed quickly, and we couldn't go without a refrigerator for two months while we waited on somebody to come out and repair it. So we had to buy a a new refrigerator. We couldn't find a helper. A repairman would also. maybe Move yeah. that in the second house. <laughs> it was not a good transit, obviously. Um, so on the on the flip side, like on a positive transit, you could see more positive things occurring in that house. Questions? I think I got a little muddy on that one. But am I? Am yeah. I how am I doing? I think it's Dasha? making sense.
0: You talked about the 10th house because it's in relation because it trines the second. But are you are you going to talk about the 8th house next?
2: Um, I am going to
3: okay. talk about the 8th house next because it's opposite.
2: I'll, I will preface really quickly on, on the trine aspect. So the 10th. The second and the sixth house are all trying each other, and they all connect to work, mm. money, career, and finance. And you'll see this with other houses as well. So there's all these little intricacies and connections that I I can't get into all of this in a decent amount of time. Um, but I'm going to try and touch on some Oops. of these things. But that's that's just, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so moving on to the The 8th house is called the idle place. It is opposite the house of your finances, and the 8th house signifies the finances of others or partners as well as inheritance because of its close relation to the 7th house. The 8th house doesn't make aspect to the ascendant and can't be seen by the 1st house, and therefore it's considered one of the difficult houses. Because uh, the native doesn't have direct influence or access to um, planets' topics and, and happenings in the 8th house. And that's why it's called the idol place. It's, it's a bit obscured, and having you know planets' places here can make it harder for the significations of the planets to express. Um, for example, my ascendant ruler, Mercury, is in the 8th house, which is not mm-hmm. ideal. Uh, <laughs> This is this has shown up for me as so I have ADHD and I struggle with uh with that and I have a really hard time sometimes focusing my thoughts and sometimes communicating or effectively communicating them to other people. And I worry too much about how you know, how I'm perceived by others. But I have no real control or influence over how other people see me. So that's what that's like.
0: Yeah, that them. sounds rough. Yeah, I'm like i'm looking at mine trying to figure out what's over there and it's i've got like i think another asteroid and then pluto but as a yeah. hellenistic astrologer how uh-huh. do you interact with those outer planets that were discovered so much more recently like do you mostly just ignore them or
2: no uh, no i do focus on the traditional planets but the outer planets are, I guess, treated more like more like asteroids in a way, and we haven't really talked about asteroids a lot. They're more of the generational planets. Now, if you have outer planets connected to uh, one of the one of the uh, traditional planets, then of course that imbues more of that energy of the outer planet into your own personal experience or or, you know how it comes through in your life Uh, but if they're just kind of sitting off in a house by themselves yeah they're gonna they're gonna speak in the chart they're just not gonna speak as loudly
3: so that's what I'll say about that yeah it looks like
0: it's just hanging out there by itself no strong aspects to anything
2: (laughs) yeah yeah, so uh, the 8th house is also a house that is associated with death. Because I mentioned briefly, like, inheritance is one of the 8th house mm-hmm. topics. And it's more, the 8th house is more like the preparation prior to death, with 7th house being more of the the, the death house. The 8th house is more like the thinking of the planning for preparation of death. You can see a lot of times, like, long time. Long-term illness can show up sometimes with eight house, eighth house as well. So there's that. And inheritance, you know, a lot of us, especially in our <laughs> age group, not I, I'm not expecting yeah, an inheritance, but it's so it's not it's not all about financial um, inheritance as well as it can be more because it's something you don't have any control over. It can be more of the inheritance of like a, a disease or a condition mm-hmm. or Inheriting trauma is also another eighth house topic because it's not directly related to you. You don't have that access point to like say, Okay, this is where this this weird thing I have with snakes that I'm terrified of comes from. I don't know, maybe <laughs> Yeah, that's
0: fascinating. It's like in, inheriting a, a, a burning world in a shitty economy.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. You don't have yeah. any control over it, and uh, so, and it's, it's the, the eighth house, if we go back to, like, the Trine aspects, the eighth house is connected by Trine to the fourth house, which we'll get to here shortly, which is, like, the home family ancestry type house, and the twelfth house, which I already touched on, which is uh, related to, you know, that kind of pre-birth place, the liminal space. Before you entered the material realm. Any questions about the second or eighth house? No. I
3: don't think so. Okay. <laughs>
2: I answered all the questions that you could ever have about so thorough. the second
3: or eighth house. I'll,
2: I'll <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really glazing over, over a lot of these topics because you can't just, you just, I just can't. Yeah,
0: this is definitely an overview episode. Or
2: I can, but... I, I can, but we're not going to because we don't want to be here all day. All right, moving on to the third house. Going to the the third house, ninth house axis. In the third house, it's called the house of the goddess, and it's the place where the moon has its joy. It's referred to as the house, uh, or I refer to it as the house that's kind of the juncture of the zodiac because it encompasses topics that, on the surface, don't seem like they really go together. And it can encompass a wide variety of topics because of that. So those topics are siblings, short distance travel, communication, rituals, and routines. And they kind of uh, and and the topics of the third house play off of the fourth and the ninth house as well. Similar to how the first house and the second house play off of each other. And well, you know, because I've already said all that, I'm not gonna say it again. (laughs) (laughs) Rewind. So, you're probably wondering, how does the moon figure into all that and the goddess? And So, I'm going to try to break it down for you. So, the moon travels around the zodiac in 28 days, which is why the house is associated with short-distance travel. And the moon is the fastest-moving planet in astrology. The moon, because of its journey through the zodiac in the same order every month, ended it being the closest planet to Earth it's also associated with our environment. So that is where we get rituals, routines and our environment and community. So for example, um, or, or or does that track or do I need to delve into that a little bit
3: more?
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. I always really like that analogy of kind of like the junk drawer of the houses. Um, yeah. And like, that is where my moon is. And, and in Gemini, and yeah, I feel like my brain is a junk drawer. <laughs> it heads yeah. up,
2: yeah. So, and it it plays off of the ninth and the fourth house because when you're talking about uh, siblings and community, that's outside of your, that's just right outside of your, you know, your direct line. Um, it's sounds weird of siblings, but you know, you have to do yourself, your parents, where you come from, and the siblings just kind of like a little to the side if that makes sense? Yeah,
0: I think so because it's like you're coming out of the same environment but also it's not like it's not a one-to-one comparison you know
3: Yeah, yeah
2: and then, you know, community because family is supported by community, you know the environment that you grow up in, um, outside of your home and family um, yeah (laughs) it makes sense it makes sense that those would be associated with the third house Um, the rituals and routines that kind of plays off of the ninth house um, topics because the ninth house is called the house of God and it's opposite the third house Um, and the ninth house is where the sun has its joy it's the house associated with spirituality religion, higher education, law foreign places and people so it's all the things that are kind of opposite the third house when we think spirituality and religion it's like how is that opposite um think about it as like your whatever spirituality or religion or tradition that you come from it's got it, it's this bigger concept um, and when you bring down things things from the ninth house can get brought down kind of it to the third house where they are brought into your everyday routines. Um, If you were raised, you know, a Christian, that would have been the routine of going to church on Sunday or, um, you know, whatever prayer practices, all those things come down into the more material um, third house realm Mm -hmm. and get intertwined into our everyday routines. So, that's how that gets there. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, uh, of course, foreign travel is going to be the opposite of uh, short distance travel, <laughs> higher education. I like to call the ninth house, the house of expanded horizons, because the topics there are about really about expanding the mind. And you can do all of those things through spiritual religion, higher education, um, Law is more of a more philosophy type than mm-hmm. I guess law. I would say where it kind of fits into that um, that realm. And then foreign places and people; those are all things that if you go out into the world and you know you learn experience, they're going to broaden your horizons and they're going to expand your mind. And um, yeah, I love the ninth house. It's one of my one of my favorites to talk nice. about astrology. Astrology mm-hmm. goes into the ninth house. That's, I mean, how more expansive is anything <laughs> than astrology? Um,
1: <laughs> except yeah. that maybe astronomy. Astronomy is a lot more expansive than astrology. <laughs> and uh,
2: they, they could
0: both <laughs> fit in there. <laughs> I think astronomy definitely qualifies as higher learning. <laughs> so.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so I'll stop again. Questions? Anything that I should elaborate on? Anything?
0: Um, that? Let's see. So I guess... You've covered about six of the houses now. How are you feeling? Do you want to mm-hmm. try and do the rest of this episode, or do you want to cut it here and do the next half in another episode? Why don't we? Why
3: don't
0: we <laughs> draw a card on it? Sounds good to How about me. Do you want me to draw one, or just you draw one?
2: So, we'll just do. We'll just do a random. We're <laughs> just gonna do a random draw. As it goes.
0: Fell
1: out. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I'm just gonna show it to you. I'm not gonna
0: say <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Strength. What does that know. mean, Natasha? Uh, pow- power through. <laughs> <Poor Maybe>. Question.
1: <laughs> does it? Um, does it?
0: Oh, that's funny. I do have one question. It's not related to a specific house. Okay. So I don't know if you want to like tag that on here or save it for later. Um, but I feel like something that is confusing when you're first starting out, or tends to just like come up a lot when people first start looking at the houses, is like, oh my gosh, what does it mean uh-huh. if I have empty houses in my chart?
3: Yeah,
2: it means that area of your life is completely empty and void, and you'll never have any anything.
0: <laughs> Nothing good will ever happen. You <laughs> just won't kidding. get to travel <laughs> anywhere. <joking>. Um... <laughs> no,
1: joking. I'm. Just...
2: I'm. I'm joking. So you look to the ruler of that house. Um, let's say uh, empty houses is uh, okay. Well, I mean, we talked about my first house. My first house is empty. So we look to the planet that rules the first house, which is Mercury, and where's Mercury? It's in the eighth house. So that's where we're gonna drive some of those significations about me and my personality. Interesting.
0: And I guess, like, just to be clear, so talking about your first house, in your first house is ruled by Mercury, because mm-hmm. your rising sign is Virgo, it's which Virgo. is ruled by Mercury. Mm-hmm. And so for me, my rising sign mm-hmm. is Aries, so my rising sign, or er, my first house is ruled by Mars. Your first. Yes, because Mars is what rules yes. the sign of my first house. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like it like, gets a little bit confusing sometimes mm-hmm. when you talk about rulers. It's like, are we talking about the sign or are we talking about the planet? Um, so it's your house has a sign and it's the planet that rules that sign.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So think about the planets as people or gods. So Mars, Aries, his house. He has two houses um summer home and he has a um, uh, and <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> he, has, he has two houses and those houses are aries and scorpio and because he uh those are his houses he owns those houses and he he governs those nice. houses just as mercury um is gemini and virgo uh jupiter is pisces pa- pisces <laughs> <It's> pisces <laughs> pisces <laughs>
1: Uh, Pisces and Sagittarius. Nice. <laughs> now, now I have forgot all the planets <laughs> after that. I said Pisces. <laughs> I know nothing anymore. Um, who's next? Venus is a Taurus and Libra.
2: <laughs> and then, um, who did we forget? Oh, Saturn. Saturn is uh, Scorpio, Capricorn, and then you have the luminaries, the sun, ruling uh, Leo and the yeah. moon. Cancer. And I guess
0: just to be like extra, extra clear, when I talk about empty houses, it's like you're looking at your birth chart, it's divided up into those 12 sections, and you'll have a section that doesn't have anything in it. Um, and therefore it is empty. Uh-huh. And, you know, when I'm talking about things, you know, like your sun, moon, the planets, different stuff like that. Um, and there's also other little extra things you can calculate. Usually, whenever you're just generating these charts, so most of what people are usually talking mm-hmm. about are like the sun and the moon and the main planets and things. But, uh, like the website I used has a bunch of extra little like asteroids and stuff. Um, uh, that most people just usually mm-hmm. don't speak much about. And then there are a few things that are kind of commonly discussed that are not actual physical planets but are just kind of mathematical points like I'm pretty sure that's what the nodes are mm-hmm. right the north and south node in your chart um yes it's kind of a math calculation
2: yeah the midheaven and the ice yeah, yeah. midheaven and icy as well um but yeah they're And then they're I think yeah several even of those Lilith well. isn't that also Chiron just a point like a...
0: black moon Lilith yeah And that's, that's Mm -hmm. one that like has gotten a little more popular recently. People enjoy talking about Lilith, it seems like, but yeah. And that's the only thing I have in my ninth house. Sometimes you'll have a house where it's like, Oh, it looks like there's stuff there, but it's not like, um, what most astrologers would refer to Mm -hmm. as like significant necessarily. It's not as big a deal as, you know, the planets Mm -hmm. and
2: stuff. Yeah, like, my 10th house is is also ruled by Mercury, and I don't have any uh, planets there, but of course my Midheaven is there, um, and I also have Chiron there as well. So, it's kind of just, a lot of times in the chart, you'll see certain things kind of spoken twice in different ways. So, I have Mercury in the 8th house, and then I have Chiron in the Midheaven in the 10th house that's kind of afraid of being seen and the 8th house being associated with how people see me and how mm-hmm. I'm perceived. Uh, so they have this rule. Real, it's really interesting how sometimes you'll see these um, synchronicities in the chart. And when you see the synchronicities, it's usually, those are the things that will be more prominent for you, even if, even if they're not external, even if they're more of an internal thing. So
3: you'd be like,
2: Lauren, what do you mean you're... You're afraid of
3: being perceived and seeing <laughs> You have a podcast.
2: Well, you know, I'm working on it, and so this is what I'm doing. Right. Here I am. Same,
3: same. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is scary.
0: We're here anyway. <laughs> please don't make yeah. fun of us,
2: mm-hmm. or do, but just you know, yeah,
0: <laughs> not to our faces.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, please and thank you.
2: So, I, yeah, I, th- I think we'll just wrap up right here. For now, and then we can move on on the next uh, next rendition of the Hot Hair Diviners podcast. <laughs> uh, the, fourth, the, the fourth, the tenth, the fifth, the eleventh, and the sixth, yeah. and the twelfth.
0: All right. Any closing announcements?
2: I don't know. When is this episode going to be out?
0: Week. The twenty third. Oh, it's sorry. Out, the twenty third.
2: Okay, so mm-hmm. I can't make an announcement. I can't make an announcement. So if you're in the uh, in the in the Tennessee Knoxville regional area, I will be at CreepyCon the weekend of August the 25th and 26th. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> uh, my side hustle, side gig job, I am uh,
1: a
3: haunted house clown. <laughs>
1: I would be a haunted house clown.
0: I love it. Say it loud and proud.
2: (laughs) I I love dressing up in the costumes and scaring the shit out of people. It gives me life, especially (laughs) small children and grown men. Better than small children is grown men. Grown men. Hilarious.
0: Is it all clowns or is it just uh, all things creepy?
1: No. Uh. Well, the
2: creepy con convention is going to have all things creepy. Um. But the I have some friends that are big, big haunted house enthusiasts. They used to have a haunted house, and I worked in it as well. And so they're setting up a small venue, haunted house venue, inside Mm -hmm. of CreepyCon. So that's where I'll be. Yeah. So
0: if you just cannot wait for spooky season, this is the place to be. Yeah. (laughs) Go get spooked a little bit early.
2: Yeah. Mm Hmm. I'll I'll scream in your face. Um, and insult you. I love, that's another thing I love about. I can just insult people. Oh, man. So you make fun of them when they scream, you know? You laugh at them. As a clown, you get to laugh at them when, when you scare the oh, pants
3: oh off Oh, of
1: gosh. Them. And then they, <laughs> then you get to make we, fun of them for it. Don't like
3: clowns. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So yeah, I'll 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 post a picture of me all in in my getup. It's a it's a wild west theme, so I'm gonna be like,
0: wow, like a rodeo clown,
1: (laughs) a rodeo clown, yes.
0: Oh man, that is fantastic.
1: (laughs) Adding that to my
0: (laughs) spooky rodeo clown, yes. I approve this message. Um, I'm boring. I don't have any announcements. All right, I'm just happy to be here, y'all uh take care we'll talk to you next week bye see you later thank you so much for joining us for another episode of hot air diviners
1: if you enjoy this podcast it would mean the world to us if you could rate and review the show wherever you listen
0: by leaving a review you not only show support for the show but you also help others discover the podcast
1: if you're interested in more Hot Air Diviners content, you can find us on Instagram and Substack as Hot Air Diviners.
0: If you have a comment or a question you'd like us to answer on the show, you can email us at hotairdiviners@gmail.com. at gmail.com.
1: If you want more straight up astrology content, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Fire Moon Astrology or book a reading with me through the link in the show notes.
0: And if you're interested in more tarot plus whatever else might spark my curiosity, you can find me Natasha on Substack and Instagram as the Present Pursuit.
1: Thanks for being here, and see you next time.
0: <laughs> Bye.
1: Bye.
3: Oh. Um, uh-huh. um, <laughs>